Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with episode 230 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, we are here to talk all things AEW and NXT. It was a busy week for both brands, NXT coming off of that Halloween Havoc special show last week. AEW still building towards full gear. I believe it is on November 13th, so a little bit over a week away, about 10 days away from that big pay-per-view show. So again, a loaded show. Uh, Plenty to talk about regarding both brands. We have some other news uh, to talk about at the start of the show. We will get to all of that in a moment. First, of course, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast... So please, please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review, let people know how much you love the show, tell them why you listen and convince them to subscribe. And you don't only have to do that online, you can also do it in person via text, phone call, tell your friends and family who like wrestling to make sure they subscribe and listen to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That's where we release new shows. We, um, you know, read your, we get DMs and tweets from you guys that we read on the show, pre and post pay-per-view polls. Uh, And we even do live audio shows on Twitter spaces as well, all of which you can access by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Okay, so let's get into today's show. We're going to talk AEW. We're going to talk NXT. Before we get into either of those things, we did have some news that popped up on November 2nd, uh, late in the evening. And it all started with a tweet from Tony Khan, the owner of AEW. And let me read that tweet to you. He said, "Uh, John Moxley has allowed me to share with you that he is entering an inpatient alcohol program. John is a beloved member of the AEW family. We all stand with him and Renee and all of his family and friends as he shifts his focus to recovery. John is making a very brave choice to get help and we're embracing his choice and supporting him however we can. I'm proud to call John a friend, and like many of you, I'm also a fan of Mox, and look forward to a time in the future when he is eventually ready to return to the ring. Until then, thank you for supporting John and respecting his privacy at this time. And then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, a day later on November 3rd, uh, Renee Paquette, of course, John Moxley's wife, tweeted the following, thanks for this outpouring of support. John is every bit of the badass we all know him to be. I couldn't be more proud of him for getting to proper help he needs and being given the space to put his health first. Couldn't possibly love this man more. So obviously a situation that is quite serious uh, involving John Moxley. Of course, the hope is that he caught this before it resulted in something that happened, you know, personally or professionally that affected him greatly. He realized he had a problem, went and got help. Uh, And of course, we, as the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and me personally, are fans of John and of course, fully support uh, him doing this and wish him the absolute best, uh, not just a speedy recovery, but a full recovery, uh, a comprehensive uh, recovery where he comes out of this program uh, a better person, a better man, a better husband and a better father. Of course, he and Renee just had their first child uh, within the last year. So that is obviously something that um, it's extremely important, you know, to both of them and for him to uh, clean himself up at this period of time and put himself in position to be a better husband and father to both of them 
is, of course, incredibly important. Now, you know, John uh, doing this, stepping away from AEW, it did have ramifications to the product because he was in the middle of a pretty important storyline leading into this Full Gear pay-per-view. We will discuss that in a moment uh, when we talk about AEW and what happened across Dynamite and Rampage. But, you know, off the top here, of course, just wanted to send our best wishes to John uh, and certainly to Renee as well. You know, Renee, I I don't have any personal relationship with her, but we do DM uh, on Twitter from time to time. And of course, she was a major interview that we had on the show. I sat down with her for 90 minutes. And when you talk to someone for that long and you're talking about their pregnancy and their husband and their life and career, you feel like you get to know someone a little bit better. And again, I don't know her personally, um, but through our interactions, uh, she seems to be an incredible person. And you know, I just wish her personally the best during this difficult time in her life. And I am very confident that everything will be okay in the end. At least I hope so. So with that, uh, we will move on to the rest of the show. Uh, we will start with AEW. We will then talk NXT at the end. As always here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we include timestamps in our episode descriptions. So if you only listen to NXT stuff, that's what you care about most. You'll be able to skip over to that. And of course, if you want to listen to AEW, you can just keep on trucking right now. But I did want to make sure we were able to speak about John Moxley uh, before we got onto the rest of the show. So let's open our AEW discussion here, uh, starting with that Eliminator tournament, the AEW World Title Eliminator, because that will be affected as we go on here by Mox's absence. So we'll start with Rampage, where Brian Danielson fought Eddie Kingston in a semifinal match. Brian got so much offense early, Eddie got really frustrated and tried to throw a chair. They traded headbutts and big blows with Kingston destroying Danielson's chest and flattening him outside to the point that Brian barely beat a 10 count before Eddie hit a Saito suplex for a near fall. Brian then hit a sick avalanche belly-to-belly suplex, bunch of kicks, but Kingston collapsed when he tried the running knee. Kingston escaped a Fujiwara armbar and hit a DDT. They then beat the absolute shit out of each other with Kingston landing a back fist, but he was unable to make the pinfall attempt. Brian caught him in a triangle choke and banged his head as Kingston gave him the middle finger, eventually passing out for the finish. This was an incredible match that told a great story of Brian's technical prowess against Kingston's brutality. The finish came because of that prowess specifically, along with Brian proving to be just as tough going head-to-head with Kingston, with the idea that it was going to set him up for the match against Mox, another real tough customer. I loved this. We knew Brian was winning and advancing, but the whole thing from start to finish absolutely banged. I went 4.5 stars and an A. I wrote down my note here on last Friday that I would be shocked if any other match across any brand is as good or better than this over the next week. Well, we have watched all of those shows. Uh, We know obviously SmackDown was the same night. Raw on Monday, NXT on Tuesday, Dynamite on Wednesday. I was correct. This was easily the best match of the week. Again, 4.5 stars and an A. So also on Rampage, uh, CM Punk was being interviewed backstage when Kingston was throwing a fit um, because the referee called for the bell in that match. Kingston got in Punk's face before he could speak. Punk called him unprofessional and threatened to put him to sleep for a second time. It really seemed like a rush storyline for full gear. When it happens, it's going to be a hell of a match. But the whole interaction backstage kind of came out of nowhere. So CM Punk on Dynamite came out with a mic because that's basically what he does. Uh, The fans chanted for Punk 
And then he told them, don't chant for me, chant for Moxley instead. He said, no one should criticize Mox. And I really don't think I saw a single person who would criticize Mox, nor do I know why anyone would criticize someone for going and getting treatment. So I don't know where that came from, Uh, but that he was proud. He, CM Punk, was proud of Mox. Then he said he had no idea what problem Kingston has with him. Me either. That's literally what I just said. Uh, But he would give him a chance to apologize Friday night on Rampage. So look, as I just said earlier, I'm glad we're all supporting Mox. I found this to be, I don't know the right way to put it, um, unnecessary. I guess, uh, is probably the most fair word. It almost felt as if Mox's situation was being used for chance on TV because we already knew that he was had this huge outpouring of support from fans and there were signs in the crowd and things like that. So I don't know that they needed to create inorganically, artificially, a chant for him on the show just to show support. Um, the message was positive though. So look, if it helped even one person, if CM Punk's words got through to one person who needed help, that is a positive and that's a win. Anyway, I presume Friday, the interaction with Punk and Kingston will set up a full gear match. It does feel just completely forced as a way to get two big names onto the card without any storyline relevance, but we'll see if they change my mind on that. On Dynamite, we got that other Eliminator semifinal match. It was Orange Cassidy, supposed to face Mox. Instead, it ended up being Miro, who was really the perfect replacement given the circumstances. Miro cut another promo at his god before the match. Brian was on commentary. Orange walked out with taped ribs, just like I suspected last week. He ran away from and toyed Miro before he got caught on a tope suicida for a slam outside. He got beaten down. Orange hit a tornado DDT, and Miro literally walked over to a table and sat himself on it so Orange could jump off the top rope for a splash. Uh, He almost got counted out and then kicked out of beach break at 2.8. Miro came back with his thrust kick and won very quickly with game over. Brian stared him down after, but Miro refused to shake his hand as Dynamite went off the air. So with Miro replacing Mox, my expectation was this would be a semi-squash match. Because it was not, it almost felt like they were just wasting time delaying the inevitable to get to the finish. The end result was getting Brian and Miro, and that's great. Um, unlike when Mox was in that spot and I was convinced that Mox was going to beat Brian, I don't exactly know what AEW is going to book now. Uh, Mox challenging and losing to Hangman as a new champion would have made a lot of sense. But Miro dropping the TNT title, basically being off television ever since, coming back with all of those promos to maybe beat Brian and then lose right away to Hangman, that might be some rough booking. Uh, I'll worry about the prediction for next week's show when we do the ultimate preview for AEW Full Gear for now. I think AEW and Tony Khan did really good in a tough situation. Miro being that same type of badass who can squash you was the perfect person to replace Mox. It would not have made sense for CM Punk, for example, to be in that spot or anyone else really. So Miro was the right call, but I'm not sure what it's going to do to the booking. We're going to have to address that at another time. On Dynamite, Kenny Omega fought Alan Angels in a non-title match. This opened the show. Angels dodged a V-trigger and nearly got a roll-up. Then he did a really cool sliding 619 on the ring apron, plus a moonsault outside and a diving crossbody for a near fall. Omega blocked a frog splash with his knees and hit a sit-out spinebuster for a near fall. Angels countered the one-winged angel into a near fall, and Omega hit a V-trigger but only got a 2.5 after a very casual cover. Omega came back with two brutal V-triggers for the 1-2-3. Omega then went to attack, 
after the match when Hangman Page made the save, but Omega ducked the Buckshot Lariat to end the segment. Commentary tried really hard to sell that because Angels almost beat Omega 18 months ago. People were begging to see this match again. I think most forgot that happened. Uh, I'd have bought it if they had booked a storyline last week with Angels kind of stepping up to Omega, I want another shot, but they didn't do that. Tony just made the match shortly before the show began. So for me, this was a bunch of whatever. Angels did okay. I'd have liked a bigger moment for Hangman on the penultimate show to full gear, but he did get a big moment last week. And I presume on the go-home show, either he or Omega is gonna get a big moment you know, to, to go home and sell the final match at full gear. So I'll kind of give this one a little bit of a break. I just wasn't really thrilled with it at all. Uh, on Dynamite, the super elite were backstage saying they were not afraid of anyone. When Christian Cage walked up, they told him to be smart and walk away when Luchasaurus showed up. They brawled out into the arena and then low blowed Luchasaurus when Jungle Boy came out of nowhere running across the stage for a flying cannonball. Christian then speared Matt Jackson on the stage, but Nick super kicked him when he tried for the kill switch. Luchasaurus then chokeslammed Nick onto Adam Cole's back and Jungle Boy put him in the snare trap. Christian then hit Cole with Concerto to end the segment. This was a really good beatdown segment in general, but it kind of felt like it was moving in slow motion. I don't know if anyone else had the same feeling to it. Everything worked. I'd have not done the concerto, which is usually something that takes someone out of action for months, not like 10 days. As long as they don't have Cole show up on television at all until full gear, I think it'll probably work. But for me, it was just one step too far for what they were trying to do. Nevertheless, a good beatdown. The crowd really popped for Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus with the choke slam was awesome. So it was it was entertaining for sure. Uh, John Silver cut a promo calling Adam Cole budge a few times. I have no idea what that's about. Maybe I missed an inside joke, but okay. Uh, why they did this in the ring with John Silver and not backstage or as a taped promo, I have no idea. Silver, look, he's super entertaining with all the Dark Order stuff, all the energy he brings, the excitement. He's obviously very good in the ring. Um, as far as this, it just didn't work. And the truth is, because I'm always honest here, uh, it was a really, really bad promo. Also on Dynamite, MJF cut a promo looking at Darby Allen in the crowd, saying that both of them have it. And everyone knows it. MJF said he gets booed because everyone's jealous of him, but they cheer Darby because he's an incel and not able to function normally just like the rest of the crowd. MJF said Darby will lose at full gear because he's more concerned with battering him than actually beating him. MJF then said he's so much better than Darby in the ring, he could beat him with a headlock takeover. Darby agreed with everything MJF said, and he added that he will make sure they have a clean match at full gear because he's going to take his anger out now on MJF. So MJF ran away. Sting showed up, of course, with a bat. And then there were like a dozen people wearing paper masks. Uh, Sean Spears and Wardlow attacked all of those random people. MJF jumped the barricade and battled Darby into the crowd. Darby slammed MJF into the barricade and then ran down the aisle to clothesline him over the barricade in an awesome moment that was filmed incredibly. Then MJF avoided the coffin drop and ran away. As I've said for the last two weeks, these guys have both totally sold me on this feud. The way MJF cut his promo looking at Darby, he was actually cutting it directly into the camera. And then the way they filmed Darby running the aisle was awesome. Though they did miss the point of impact because they did a camera cut, which was very WWE, okay? I, I thought that was strange. Uh, but this is my second most anticipated match 
on full gear behind the main event, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page. And it's actually not even close, given that Mox is no longer on the show, so we're not going to get Mox and Brian Danielson. But man, I am all about this MJF Darby feud. The setup has been great. I hope the go-home moment is awesome with MJF getting over on Darby, setting up the possibility that the face wins at the pay-per-view. But no matter really what they do, they've already sold me on the match, and I'm very excited to see it. On Dynamite, we had Cody Rhodes against Andrade El Idolo. Malachi Black cut a promo about Tony Khan barring him from ringside, suggesting it was more than him uh, going after Cody, looking to shove a knife in Cody's back. Cody was in his Homelander jacket again. Andrade hit a back elbow for a near fall. Andrade countered crossroads into two amigos before Cody blocked the third and ultimately got suplexed into the turnbuckles. Andrade put Cody in the figure four, popping the crowd, which of course responded with a woo. Andrade's assistant distracted Cody and the referee for a little bit, leaving an opening for FTR to show up out of nowhere, hit Cody with the AAA tag team titles. uh, And they did that while he was trying a tope suicida. Then Andrade hit his hammerlock DDT for the win. FTR then held Cody as Andrade booted him in the face. Arn Anderson was standing up to Tully Blanchard when the Lucha Brothers ran in to attack FTR to end the segment. So I'm mixed on this one. Look, elements of the match were entertaining. I liked the booking with FTR paying off the rest of their deal, presumably, with Andrade. At the same time, we still have zero explanation as to why Andrade has a problem with Cody, and neither Black nor Pac showed up here. Black said he was barred from ringside, sure, but we didn't hear or see Pac at all. So that remains completely unresolved with one week left until full gear. You already know the FTR and Lucha Brothers thing isn't working for me. So I was just mixed on this entire thing. I don't get what they're doing with Cody. Tony Khan did an interview this week where he basically said, yes, Cody is really supposed to be a face. And he tried to make it sound almost like there was not anything extra going on with all the Malachi Black stuff and all that. And I believed him the way he explained it. It seemed like he was just being truthful. He was comparing Cody and the reception he's getting to the reception John Cena used to get. I mean, I wouldn't make that comparison because John Cena was the number one star in the company and Cody is a face that people are turning on because the booking's terrible. Like literally the booking of Cody Rhodes is terrible. And the fact that all this stuff that we thought might be little hints of greatness from a storytelling perspective, it seems like all of them are not hints of anything. uh, That's a huge disappointment as well. So yeah, the Cody stuff, not working for me. Uh, We had FTR in a AAA tag team match against Samurai Del Sol and Aerostar. Samurai is Kalisto. And he did the Lucha Lucha chant during his entrance. Samurai did a great uh, jump middle rope springboard seated senton outside. Yes, that was a tongue twister. They did a few high risk moves and there were a bunch of choreographed stuff as well during the match. Darby was randomly watching somewhere in the dark. Samurai hit his old uh, WWE Salida Del Sol finisher for a near fall. And Cash Wheeler reversed the pinning combination while grabbing the ropes to retain the titles. I believe he pinned Aerostar. Uh, Aerostar, for me, looked completely out of place in this match. Far less polished than FTR and Kalisto. There were a bunch of fun spots. It was worthy being on TV, a TV match. Didn't love the finish. I don't know why FTR should need to cheat to beat a couple of guys who are not even signed to AEW. That doesn't make sense. Uh, It was the perfect spot to give the heels a squeaky clean win before they go up in a title match against the Lucha Brothers. That, you know, you want to make them legit, not that they've won everything by happenstance. They totally failed to do that here. I thought that was a really, really bad booking decision. Also on Dynamite, Inner Circle set the stage for their announcement when Men of the Year and American Top Team came out. Dan Lambert had the biggest clipboard I've ever seen with a contract on it. 
and got STFU chance. You guys know what that means. Lambert brought the same people, so there were hardly choices to make. Uh, Lambert ran down their credentials. Inner Circle picked Junior Dos Santos and Aaron Olofsky. Paige Van Zant then demanded to be in the match. They made a crude joke and called her a bitch. And then they chose Lambert for the final spot, which was completely choreographed, but entertaining as hell. It was really the right call. Uh, the segment took forever. Most of it was a complete eye roll for me. However, the payoff of Inner Circle choosing Lambert, Lambert losing his shit, it made it worth watching. Van Zant's promo was actually pretty solid for a first-timer, and I would bet really good money she gets involved anyway at some point in the match, such as the way Zelina Vega used to get involved in Andrade. Like, she'll hit a Huracarana outside or do something like that. You guys know I've been ready for this storyline to end for months. But the end of this promo segment was one of the better moments that we've gotten in this entire way-too-long feud. Lambert getting his ass kicked ultimately at full gear is going to be cathartic for the crowd, and that should create a really good moment. A couple more things before we get out of here. On Rampage, we had Britt Baker against Abaddon in a trick-or-treat match. The stipulation, the treat, would be a title match for Abaddon if she won, and the trick was that it was a no-disqualification match. Abaddon's interview comment uh, when she was doing it with Mark Henry and, and Britt Baker, when she responded, she basically just allowed blood to pour out of her mouth, and I laughed legitimately hard, not just at her doing that, but Mark Henry selling it as the most normal thing in the world. He goes, okay, that's what you had to say. Hey, Britt, why don't you tell me what's going on? It was so damn funny. As far as the match goes, Abaddon hit a stunner. Baker threw Abaddon backwards into a chair for a near fall. Baker took Abaddon off the ring apron with a swinging neckbreaker onto a table. They slid off without breaking it. So Baker tried a vertical suplex into the table and it still didn't break. It was a really bad look. Abaddon dumped thumbtacks into the ring and rock-bottomed Baker into them for a near fall. Abaddon then yelled at the referee for no reason, so Baker threw a chair in her face and wrapped it around her head, hitting the stomp. Abaddon no-sold it and stood up. Baker poured tacks into her mouth, kicked Abaddon in the face, and hesitated on the lockjaw, so Abaddon bit her hand. Jamie Hayter blatantly interfered. Sure, it was no disqualification match, but why not interfere all match if you're going to do it so blatantly in the finish? Abaddon bit Rebel's face, and then Baker rolled her up for the win. This was a 12-minute match that had five minutes of commercials. There were a couple parts of it I enjoyed. The thumbtacks were a good part of it, but this was just not for me at all. At least they did it on Halloween, so it was appropriate versus any other time of the entire year, but I'm not going to sing its praises. And then on Dynamite, we had another TBS tournament match, Jamie Hayter against Anna Jay. Baker held Anna's leg, allowing Hayter to hit a short arm lariat for the win in five minutes and 45 seconds. Ty Conti saved the post-match attack and somehow took out the other three women until they ganged up on her. And then it was Thunder Rosa who came in and made the save. Commentary was screaming loud this whole match to make it seem exciting. The crowd was hardly clapping or cheering. None of this worked for me. When you have a 545 match and you air a commercial during it like they always do, that means there was only three minutes and 15 seconds of match on television. That is exactly the same as many of those WWE women's matches that we criticize all the time. On top of that, the wrestling in this match was mediocre at best. So if I'm going to criticize the Queen's Crown Tournament and I'm going to criticize all of those low-card WWE women's matches, then this one gets criticized too. And then lastly, on Rampage, we had Matt Seidel against Dante Martin. They shook hands. Seidel hit an insane standing corkscrew moonsault. 
Martin hit a Huracarana as a counter and a running double stomp to the chest for a near fall. Seidel picked Martin off the top rope with a Huracarana. Martin flipped out of a lightning spiral and hit a double springboard moonsault for the 1-2-3. Entertaining stuff with a cool finish. It was more of a spot fest uh, than anything, but totally worthy of being on TV. And Martin is definitely fun in the ring. On Dynamite, Seidel congratulated Martin on his win and said he was free to train with Leo Rush because he was going to start training Lee Moriarty. Leo accepted the challenge. Both his promo and Seidel's promo were horrible. Seidel in particular is really bad on the mic. Uh, the eventual match before these, but, but between these four, I should say, uh, is going to be spectacular. It's four really athletic, entertaining guys. It'll be a massive spot fest, but it's going to be a great, like, exhilarating experience to be able to watch it. So that'll be fun. And it's a totally fine low-card feud. It's just not really doing anything for me in particular. So that is it for AEW this week. Certainly much easier to discuss three hours of TV than five like we did last week. I thought Dynamite was a very solid show. And obviously, as you guys know, I absolutely loved the Brian Danielson-Eddie Kingston match on Rampage. But other than the Danielson-Kingston match, the rest of Rampage I could have completely done without. And there were definitely portions of Dynamite that were rough. But look, it was the penultimate show, not the go-home. The go-home should be pretty damn solid. Uh, For full gear, there's been times over the last year where we've actually thought the go-homes have not been good for AEW pay-per-views. But given the star power, uh, the quality of the names that are going to be on this card, it is a very strong card for full gear. I do expect uh, the Dynamite go-home show to be extremely fun. And please do not forget, of course, that next week in this very space, we will have an AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview episode. Vintage Chris Vanini will be back. We'll break down everything uh, from Dynamite and Rampage as long as we can before going deep on every match from the AEW Full Gear card. So with AEW out of the way, let's move over to NXT. Uh, It was an interesting show. Uh, There was a lot more storyline and development of things. Then there were matches. I think there were only seven matches on the show. You guys may be able to correct me when I finish here, Um, but that would be the fewest of any of these new NXT era shows. Seven matches allows them more time to breathe, uh, and it also allows you to get into sharing some more uh, information about the characters that you're trying to develop across the show. And that's what they did. And I did find that to be successful, although, of course, there were a lot of down points as well. So let's start with the main storyline involving the titles, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, Carmelo Hayes, some of the big names, Braun Breaker. We'll break all that down and then we'll get through the rest of the show. So Carmelo Hayes was cutting a promo when Andre Chase showed up and the guys were shocked he was alive after being taken by zombies. It was a brief, funny moment, but I was glad that they didn't forget about what happened last week. Chase was told he's getting called a coward on social media. So he went nuts and got ready to kick ass in the ring. Chase had a student section cheering for him saying he'd use this as a hashtag teachable moment uh, as he was ready to give out a PhD in getting your ass kicked. I really liked his promo. I was not a big Andre Chase fan at the beginning. He's growing on me. The fact that he has a student section in the crowd is really freaking funny. So we got Chase against Braun Breaker. And as soon as we saw the opponent, we knew, we knew how the match was going to go. Uh, Chase had an amazing face when Braun's music hit. Chase got some offense until Breaker went on his run and finished with the press power slam. After the match, Breaker admitted to falling for Tommaso Ciampa's veteran traps last week in the Halloween Havoc main event. He said Ciampa is the man in NXT, but then he got really intense and promised to eventually win the title. I've been up and down on the character, as I said. Chase totally won me over this week. The way he lost his cool, plus the promo, they were just good and funny. 
Uh, it's almost like Dean Douglas with an attitude. Dean Douglas who curses. Breaker is rebuilding himself and obviously needed to win the match. Chase looked good jobbing to him. And Breaker's promo was exactly what he needed coming out of next week. Tommaso Ciampa came out to say Halloween Havoc was a changing of the Garden NXT, except nobody told him, referring to the other titles, all changing hands. He said Breaker earned his respect, but Ciampa is still the god of NXT. Mello interrupted to put Ciampa in check, saying he's the A champion and will take a back seat to no one. The crowd chanted, Ciampa's gonna kill you. And Ciampa said he almost bought Mello's talk until Mello took off his glasses and proved he doesn't even believe his own words. Trick Williams started talking shit, so Ciampa sucker punched him and then ran his mouth at Mello. Right as Ciampa started walking to the back, Johnny Gargano came out for his main event match. Ciampa grabbed Goldie tight, hugged onto it, and Gargano stared at Ciampa and the title. They stared each other down for a few minutes, exchanged a couple words before going to commercial. The Champa mello deal worked well for both guys, and obviously the moment with Gargano popped any NXT fan. It was a great way to set up a couple future feuds and storylines while also giving a nod to the past. Will we get Champa and Gargano again? Who knows? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But the fact that they addressed it and they had them run into each other, I did enjoy that. So we'll move to the main event and then we'll talk about the rest of the show basically in order. The main event was Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis against Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. There was some comedy early. Trick worked uh, best as a partner for Melo's double team moves. He's still very green in the ring. Loomis was way more energetic and less methodical than usual, maybe because it was a tag team match. He got a near fall after an assisted suplex on Melo. Gargano put on a glove for dual punches and super kicks with Loomis. Then Loomis dropped an elbow on Trick for a near fall. The crowd was on its feet and they were chanting, this is awesome. Gargano and Mello had a great sequence before Loomis had a sit down Uranagi and put Mello in silence. Trick used his boot to smack Loomis upside the head and Mello hit his flying leg drop into the back of Loomis's head for the win. This was maybe the best match of the new NXT era, not counting anything that happened at Halloween Havoc. The crowd was eating out of their hands. Mello got a nice moment while Loomis got an excuse. The other three did a really good job hiding how green Trick is. And Gargano's feud with Mello gets to continue, obviously, into a North American championship match. It all worked. The crowd ate it up. I'll go 3.25 stars and a B because it was more entertainment than work rate wrestling, but it was still a very good showcase, especially for the younger guys. Mandy Rose opened the show bragging about her title win while the crowd chanted, you deserve it, which she turned on them by saying, I know. Then she called herself the baddest bitch in this whole goddamn company but the latter part got bleeped. Mandy then revealed that Toxic Attraction had attacked Zoe Stark backstage and said no one would stop them. Io Shirai came out saying she doesn't like Stark, but likes Mandy even less and challenged her. Rose accepted, but blindsided Shirai and beat her down before Io turned the tables. Shirai went for the moonsault when Toxic Attraction took her out with Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter making the save. Toxic Attraction ran into Dakota Kai on their way out with Kai saying she wasn't helping Mandy uh, when she eventually beat Raquel Gonzalez at Halloween Havoc, but just dealing with her own feud. This was a solid start to the show. Uh, Shirai being the first challenger, it makes a lot of sense, but it also revealed how out of place she is in this new NXT because she is so far beyond this storyline and this type of match. Overall, Mandy's promo, I'd say it was pretty decent and the booking of the whole thing definitely worked, but it did not inspire major confidence, let's say, in Mandy Rose as the new NXT Women's Champion. We had Dakota Kai against Cora Jade. Kai controlled the match. Jade did get some offense. Dakota won with her huge boot. Then she dragged Jade at ringside, laid a table atop her, and was about to jump onto it. 
when she paused and put Jade's footboard atop her body. Then she considered jumping off again, but didn't and walked off. So Dakota's new look and purposefully devious gimmick, it really suits her. It was a bit surprising to not see her attack, but I suppose the point of it is that she only has that level of aggression and hate for Gonzalez, and she's not going to take it out on other women, which I gotta say is a pretty nice way to show some level to a character, to show a different, you know, peel of the onion, where it's not just that she's a a heel and she's going to beat people up. So I kind of like that from a storytelling standpoint. That was unique. MSK was sitting at a bus stop, disappointed that they lost the tag team titles. Wesley wondered if it was worth paying money for advice to the guy who came up with the meaning behind MSK. And Nash Carter started telling the story of MSK when a bus drove by blocking it, blocking the audio, blocking the video. Uh, They've been teasing the definition of MSK since the start. So it was pretty fun for them to do this. It also reminded me, I don't know if you guys remember when the Georgia Dome imploded um, a number of years ago and like like some local news station or whatever was taping it and a bus drove right in front of the camera as it imploded and completely missed it. So it was a nice callback to that. That was a meme for a while. I thought it was very funny. Uh, Imperium later said they don't compromise with American ideals and called MSK pathetic. Toxic Attraction came up and flirted with them, asking them to watch their match next week. Imperium then had their best line in their entire NXT run. They agreed with each other that the mat is sacred, but America has its benefits, referring to the beauty and looks of the two women. It was great to finally see some personality from them. We've never seen any personality from Imperium. Step in the right direction. Still not thrilled that they're champions. We had Zion Quinn against Robert Stone. This came after the Halloween Havoc chokeslam. Uh, Stone made an ass of himself singing karaoke in a romper to Frankie Monet's track. But Quinn said he was only there to fight. Stone called him chicken. So Queen did Sexy Boy and showed some charisma doing it. I'd bet $100 right now that Shawn Michaels produced that segment himself. I'm almost positive of it. Uh, Stone slapped him. The crowd chanted, you fucked up. Uh, They literally chanted that. Uh, Quinn hit a great swinging Death Valley driver and a jackhammer for the squash win. Look, this started stupid. It ended up amazing. Stone is the quintessential Harvey Wimpleman type of character. And Quinn is just super impressive athletically. And he has a really good look as well. So was this segment the best of the week in any way? No, of course it wasn't. But was it something to kind of consider, uh, you know, as a little building block going forward for Zion Quinn? Absolutely. And I do contend Zion Quinn has... Electra Lopez later uh, looked Quinn up and down backstage after his match. That's literally all that happened there. Uh, Joe Gacy uh, said the world should be happy, but instead it's a cesspool pointing out that the negativity of social media is ruining things. He said Harland is called a monster out of prejudice to his entire look and they will change the world together. This continues to trend downward for me, but there wasn't much to this to really judge. Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner fought Legato del Fantasma. This match was set up on Twitter. Wild hit an awesome flying senton cannonball into O'Reilly for a near fall. After a back and forth, he folded Wagner over really, really tight for a 1-2-3. Legato winning was absolutely the right call, and I was initially worried they wouldn't. Other than that, this was nothing to write home about. Wagner just does not have it. Uh, He doesn't have the look. He doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have the ability. O'Reilly being in this feud, maybe it's them giving him something to do until his contract expires, which is going to be in a couple of months. Whether he leaves or stays, I don't know. If he stays, he needs to be doing something better. If he leaves, it's perfectly fine for him to be in this. 
maybe turn heel on Wagner and then he puts over Wagner on his way out. Maybe that's what they do. I don't get what they're doing here. Um, Kyle O'Reilly, ever since the end of Undisputed Era, he's just been floating out there. He didn't work as cool Kyle. Crazy Kyle was much better, but they didn't go with it and put the title on him. Maybe because his contract was expiring. And if this is what we're doing now with him, then I'm not going to care about him on my television. It's just not working. We had lashing out with Tony D'Angelo. Lash Legend did her stupid shit as normal, then confronted D'Angelo about her producer Mark disappearing. Then she revealed Mark was there and Mark came out you know, with his head down. He had a broken arm. He looked really scared. D'Angelo made him sit down. He named all of Mark's family members, described his house and told Mark to explain that nothing happened. D'Angelo then named a bunch of faces that he wanted to beat up, including Champa, and bribed Lash to end the show. Again, look, the Wendy Williams gimmick, it's not for me. D'Angelo made this enjoyable. And I love that he made those threats, right? The, the, the idle threats of, hey, why don't you tell everyone it's okay, Mark? Otherwise, maybe we can talk about your family, you know, and, and everyone sitting at home. It basically saying, hey, Mark, you know, say, say what I want you to say. I'm going to beat up some family members and raid your house. I thought it was funny. It was very much in character. It worked for me. Again, lashing out and lash legend, not for me. Sola Sokoa fought Jeet Rama. This was basically a squash with Sokoa mauling Rama and beating him with the Uso splash. He also did Rikishi's back end move into the corner. I, I don't know what that's called, but uh, he did that as well. I like that he's using his brother's finisher, even though they aren't directly relating him to the Usos in kayfabe just yet. He's also a bit wider than the Usos, so he has a different natural look than them. And I could really see them building Solo Sokoa into like the next Umaga. For example, rest in peace, by the way, of course. Uh, But the hair, the blonde hair, it absolutely has to go. It's not going to work. Briggs and Jensen were grilling in their own backyards with a spliced together promo, talking about liking to kick ass. They seem to fit well together as a tag team from a personality standpoint. So far in the ring, they have not been that impressive. Boa fought Grayson Waller. LA Knight was on commentary. Waller was dominating Boa and ready to do the between the legs move uh, off the springboard when Knight distracted him. Waller fell off the ropes and Boa hit a roundhouse kick for the win. I maintain that Waller's gimmick is so confusing. He wears boxing trunks. He wears football gloves, but he does basketball moves in the ring. I think he's almost supposed to be a poser, but he's a face and fans love him. So I don't really get what he's doing. I'd have much preferred Waller winning here with Knight attacking him afterward because I didn't think Boa needed the win. However, it seems like Boa did need the win because... He later was backstage. He bent down uh, where Mei Ying's throne was. A bunch of smoke came up. And then out of nowhere, he stood up and his face was painted with the same kind of paint that Mei Ying had on her face. And it seems like maybe Mei Ying, the character, or Karen Q, the wrestler, have been written off with Boa now taking this entire gimmick to himself. First, it was three of them. Then it was two. Now it seems to be just one. We'll see what happens with that. But... Uh, This thing, I mean, again, I interviewed Shawn Michaels on this podcast. He told us that Tian Shaw was one of the gimmicks he was looking most forward to and he was most excited about in 2021. And this thing has completely fallen off a cliff. Moving on, uh, Cameron Grimes was in Duke Hudson's poker room. Hudson insulted him and Grimes didn't know the rules thinking it was blackjack. Hudson got annoyed that Grimes was getting lucky. They were the final two at the table. Grimes went all in with a full house. And Hudson got angry because he called him with twos in the pocket. This was a three-part segment. All three parts were terrible. 
Grimes has gotten annoying. Neither Hudson's gimmick nor the poker room, the look, the idea of it, neither of them are believable. I think he's good in the ring and has charisma. I like the new name, but this just ain't it, man. And then lastly, Kaylee Ray broke more shit in a dark room and said she'll be back next week. So that's obviously good. She was either called up without a plan or plans changed once they remixed NXT. Either way, she needs to be heavily involved most weeks and she needs to be a champion in NXT or they need to just take her off NXT and move her to the WWE main roster because she's ready for it. Either way, it's good to see her getting back on TV. We'll judge more next week when we see what happens in her match. But that was really it from NXT. Like I said, highs and lows, a good mixture. I thought it was a solid episode top to bottom. The first couple episodes of the new NXT, it was painful to watch those first two weeks. Ever since then, it has transitioned into a show that, yes, is completely different than the old NXT that we were watching, but is a program that I do not mind sitting down to watch for two hours on a Tuesday night. And I think that's a positive development. They still, you know, I know it's only been a short period of time, That young demo, that 18 to 49 demo that WWE wants to go after, it is not watching the show. It is not growing with NXT. Now, there's been a lot of sports on. Yes, maybe they just need one or two breakthrough characters or storylines to get people to tune into the show. But right now, no one cares about NXT. It's starting to concern me to that degree. Uh, We'll see what happens by the end of the year going into early 2022. But for now, I would call the relaunch of 2.0... I don't even want to say a success, but a a mild positive, I guess, if it's hitting some of the tone that WWE is looking for. They've definitely fixed some of the issues. Like when they were doing 10, 11 matches and a million segments in a single show, they've now turned it back into more of a regular wrestling show. Those are positives. We'll see if those continue as we move forward through the end of the year again and into 2022. So really, that is it for today. Uh, breaking down AEW and NXT. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. A little bit of a preview for next week, of course. We will have the WWE episode once again on Tuesday, breaking down everything from SmackDown and Raw as we assume the build for Survivor Series is going to begin. And then we will be back on Thursday with our AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. We'll talk about everything that happened on Rampage and Dynamite. And of course, we will also talk about NXT on that show. So I appreciate all of you listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. As a reminder, this show... So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Tell people how much you love the show. Convince them to subscribe and listen. And also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So that's it, folks. I will bid you adieu and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.